disruption, investment, work-life balance, delving deep on the topics that matter most for entrepreneurs. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada Podcast Network. Welcome to the Startup Canada Podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across the country. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. If you are a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the program, don't forget to visit the iTunes store to subscribe and visit startupcan.ca to connect with both your local startup community and to join Startup Canada to access training, resources, and a peer network to grow your success. I am your host, Rivers Corbett, founder and CEO of Coaching by Rockstars. Ever thought about a career as a business coach? Coaching by Rockstars teaches business coaches how to build a successful coaching business from scratch. Visit coachingbyrockstars.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen, it's straight from the beautiful city of Fredericton, New Brunswick. We're having the uh, the Startup Canada podcast show, and this is an east-west conversation today. I'm really thrilled to have as our guest, Mr. Mark Quell. He's the founder and CEO of Rootific, and it's a root optimization solution for delivery businesses. Graduating cum laude with a master's degree in operations research from Erasmus University in the Netherlands, Mark is an expert on advanced route optimization algorithms. And we're going to get into that because I have no freaking idea what that means, but he's going to make it real simple for us in this conversation. And Mark's experience in the field of logistics led him to realize the inefficiencies in delivery algorithms, spawning his idea to create a world-class software that was accepted into Techstars in 2015. And by the way, when I say East-West, Mark is hanging out in Vancouver. In today's interview, we're going to learn the story behind his leading company and why after growing up in the Netherlands and working internationally, Mark decided to start up and make a home in our part of the world in Vancouver. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you so much, Rivers. Yeah, it's great to have you. And look, let's get into what what inspired you to start Rutific. Yeah, so um, my first job out of school was at an investment bank in Hong Kong, and I simply didn't feel fulfilled in my job. Um, so I wanted to make a change. And so I was an algorithmic trader, and my job was to move numbers around using algorithms in a way that would basically make the rich bankers even richer. So I didn't feel like I was, you know, adding any value to society. Uh, in fact, I felt quite the opposite. Um, and meanwhile, I did my thesis uh, about eight years ago on route optimization algorithms, uh, which is basically applying algorithms to make things more efficient in the space of logistics. And that's is really what I wanted to to be doing. Fantastic. You know, it's it's interesting you say that about making an an impact for when you're in some spot that seems glamorous on the outside, but on the inside there's really something that's missing. Exactly. Uh, I was talking 
talking to a buddy of mine yesterday. He's a, he was the CEO of a, of a regional, regional economic development op- operation, and his passion was economic development. But in, in this case, he found himself doing politics and men, HR, all the things right. that took him away from – had the fancy title, but really just didn't uh, feel that passion. So I applaud you for to listening to that to that internal voice and uh, and uh, not only listening to it, but responding to it. How long did it take you to to make that shift from okay, I'm hearing something to okay, I got to do something about it? Yeah, so I stayed in investment banking uh, for one year exactly. Um, ah. so it's uh, I got out pretty quickly. Um, so that's yes. good. Um, so uh, it was my first job out of school, and as a as a fresh grad, I believe that you know a job should be fun, challenging, and fulfilling at the same time. Um, but uh, and, and and I really believe that such a job really exists for everyone. You just have to look right. hard for it. Yeah, um, love it. So love it. So yeah, I, it was about six months, I would say, uh, into the job where. So the first six months was still very exciting because it was indeed a very prestigious job in a very yep. um, fantastic city of Hong Kong um, in one of the highest skyscrapers. I was on the 52nd floor, so I had a beautiful view of the Hong Kong Harbor. Um, nice. But all those perks and all the prestige all wears out over time mm-hmm. uh, because the day-to-day job wasn't fulfilling. And so so about six months in, I started to think about, ah, this is not the right career path for me. I wanted to you know, make a change. And so another six months passed and uh, one, one full year later, I was like, okay, this is enough. I need to, uh, I need to get out of this. Yeah. I love it. Well, congratulations on, uh, on listening to that. And then you, you started Rotific in uh, Vancouver. And, uh, so the question is, okay, you've, you came to the mountainous area of the West coast after growing up in the Netherlands and, uh, and working in Hong Kong. So what allured you to, uh, to come to uh, our great country? Um, I don't know if you've been to the Netherlands before, but it's uh, never, it's completely flat. And so, uh, seeing, um, Vancouver, the beauty of the Pacific Northwest, that, that really, that really, uh, did it for me. I love the ocean. I love hiking. I love the outdoors. Um, and I love good Asian food, which uh, they have a lot of there in Vancouver. Um, truth be told, I actually owe it to the economist for ranking Vancouver as one of the most livable cities in the world. Um, and the skeptic in me, you know, got curious, like, what's that all about? So I wanted to experience that. And as I was in China, um, I met a Canadian who is now my wife. And yeah, the love, the love, the <laughs> yes. love story. Yes, sir. And so on our honeymoon, we went to Vancouver and we fell in love oh with God. this place. So it worked all, it all worked out quite nicely. Yeah, well, for us too, we're lucky to have you, and it's uh, <laughs> it's very cool. So, so look, you obviously love and a trip. I uh, got you to our part of the world, um, but uh, you know, what advice would you have for entrepreneurs looking to uh, for a new place to start their uh, their business? Obviously, you would recommend Vancouver, but uh, and and you could have chosen any place in the world, but. It, you know, when you really get down to the pragmatic aspect of it, what are some things that you feel entrepreneurs should look for when they're looking for a new place to start their business? So for me personally, I chose Vancouver even before I chose to start a company. So it was really mm. about choosing a city where you want to, you know, spend most of your life in. Right. Um, so my advice for entrepreneurs would be like, what is it really that you're looking for? Uh, holistically, not just, you know, what is best for the company, but what is best for you. 
right? Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for to work your butt off in a hyper-competitive shoot-for-the-moon type of environment, uh, or you need to raise a lot of VC money for your business, then you know Silicon Valley would be the logical choice. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, being in Vancouver uh, allows you to build a much healthier company culture where you would balance more, you know, the work-life balance is much better. You can work less hours, but you can work much more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And thereby be work much sustainably and avoid burnouts in the in the long run. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's so important. Yeah, you, you, you know, gone are the days when we all want to do eighteen. I mean, exactly. I believe in work working hard, but I also believe in working smart at the same time, so exactly. you don't have to work the many hours. So love it. So you started your company, Routific, uh, and that's how you, is it route? I want to make a good correct. Is it Routific? We, we pronounce it Routific, yes. Right, perfect. So I got it right, right, Routific. So you started this company out of nothing. And I just, you know, when I talk about entrepreneurship and the journey, I, I when I'm talking to students, I say, that to me is what entrepreneurs are all about, taking an idea out of nothing and making it happen, taking that clay and molding it. And so when you started, what were the building blocks, it's the kind of the hurdles that you, uh, you had to go through and overcome in that uh, first two uh, in that in first part of your business? So after I finished my thesis about eight years ago, um, all I had was basically an academic prototype of a routing algorithm. Um, so that was the first build, building block. And um, during my research, I discovered that this algorithm could uh, cut down mileage and fuel consumption for delivery businesses upwards of 30 40%. So the first, the first building block was there, and I thought, okay, let's let's try to turn this into a business, and let's actually try to, you know, sell it to delivery businesses so they can operate more efficiently. Um, so, but little did I know that this building block was just a, a small cornerstone to a cathedral that needed to be built. There was still so much work ahead of us, and even today, we're nowhere near done. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done. But um, to give you some idea of those major hurdles, um, the first big one was probably just simply getting the attention of potential customers. Uh. Right. Like, so I got this thing here, you know, that, that, uh, that I spent uh, a year, year and a half building. Now what? Right. So getting the attention of potential customers uh, was the biggest one. Um, How'd you do that? How'd you do that? What were some of the tricks and that you seemed that worked for you? Um, I wouldn't say there were any tricks. It was just grit. It was just knocking on people's okay. doors. It was just cold yep. calling. I tried everything from, you know, just uh, going to the stores downtown and just, hey, do you deliver your flowers? Or, hey, do you deliver your pastry? How can nice. I help you? It was, it was very, very hard. That was probably one of the hardest things, I would say. Um, and then that's that transitioned to, you know, just emailing people um, to uh, listing listing routific.com on certain like forums so that you know uh-huh. other people on the internet would see it and they started to say, hey, reach out and, and say oh, this is pretty cool uh, can I learn more so so that's that's kind of like how it uh, how it uh, started to slowly snowball from there. 
Yeah, well, if you don't have the leads going into the funnel, then you really don't have a chance to sell anything, do you? And so that really is a lesson to be learned about the fact is that, if, is that just because you build it doesn't mean that people are going to fight their way to you. They got to hear about it and you got to get out there and hit the ground, do that legwork that you talked about. So, and, and even though it, even though it hurt, even though it was really painful, my bet is it was, pre- it, you look back upon it now and you say, oh my gosh, what a great learning experience oh, that was. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Going through oh, that yes. process. Yeah. Very <laughs> cool. Love it. Love it. Love it. So uh, the, the delivery industry, let's kind of talk about that for a second is it's really being disrupted globally. And I, I love the word disruption and why I love the word these days is because the big guys, the really big guys are really looking backwards now at guys like you and I and all these startups and so on that are now coming at them um, because they're able to be nimble and quick and uh, and be very efficient and that's a threat to these traditional industries so um you know how are you using this disruption to your advantage and in, uh, in, in your company yeah you're absolutely right the delivery industry is is being disrupted quite a bit uh, everyone these days wants things delivered on the to their doorsteps and there are a lot of startups around the globe who are uh, basically trying to do that which is awesome for us because um, it means that there are a lot of startups and companies thinking about how to make things more efficient and these are like you said the nimble um, fast-moving type of companies um, who are also forward-thinking and they are adopting our technology um, to make their deliveries more efficient. So it, it, for us, the timing the timing of this whole on-demand um, delivery kind of uh, um, uh, fad, I would say, is yep. almost lucky um, because, you know, we started working on this eight years ago when I wrote my thesis and I did not foresee that the industry would be where it is today. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, if I did, I wouldn't be here. I would be maybe doing something else, but, yeah. um, but I mean, uh, I mean, I just wanted to make the existing last mile industry more efficient for the existing big guys. Uh, right. But now the big guys are being disrupted by the smaller guys and smaller guys are adopting our technology. So it's, it, it all worked out. Yeah, it's very cool. Well, talking in the whole delivery aspect, um, and I don't know if the, how this plays into your model, but what are your thoughts of drones delivering things in the future? I mean, is is that is that a realistic thing that's going to happen? Or in your view, what's your, what are your thoughts on drones? Uh, that's that's hard to say. I mean, if there's one thing that uh, that I learned from my investment banking days is that um, there's nothing you can say about the future because it's always unpredictable. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. But having said that. Um, Amazon just launched their drone uh, first pro, uh, pilot drone delivery recently. This week, I, I read somewhere. Oh, is that right? Interesting. So, so uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, there's still, I think, a lot of challenges that need to be overcome. Uh, one of which is, you know, the the legislation around it. Um, uh-huh. But the other thing is, like, how are they going to more efficiently carry a lot of stuff? Uh, yes. Over a long distance. And I think, especially in cases where, let's say you're UPS, right? You have a lot of density, you have a lot of packages that you need to deliver to one specific area. Yes. Doing it in a truck is still going to be more efficient than doing you know, every yeah. single package through a drone. Right. 
Right, right, right. Yeah. What I would think the drones would be uh, from from a rural setting. Do you think that that's really heading over here off a of, off our topic here? But I would think that what's that's when you talk about distance being able to deliver that because uh, you, you don't have one truck going in that direction uh, where you've got your need in the in the city. So anyway, I digress a bit. So let's uh, let's continue on and talk about your role as a CEO because you know I'm uh, hanging out in an organization right now called Opportunities New Brunswick and uh, the economic uh, engine for the province here. And the CEO has been through some interesting challenges lately, and I've been admiring him as he's uh, as he's navigated his way through those challenges, maintaining his leadership position, but also, you know, keeping his team on track and so on. So you talked about what you did in the beginning days. So how has your role as a CEO moved from cold calling and pounding on doors to uh, to where it is today? <laughs> Not much, actually. I still do that. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. I mean, I mean, in, in a different way. It's it, yes. it has evolved uh, in a more systematic way. But the fundamental job as a, I guess, CEO or CEO is just a title. As a startup entrepreneur, I'd rather uh, I'd rather say is that your job um, as a founder is to do everything that is necessary to grow the business uh, or bring the business to the next level. So. Fill in the gaps, or do the do the things that are necessary at that moment in time. So back in the days when we didn't have any customers, it was just spending 100% of the time chasing customers, trying to get customers. Now that we have customers, uh, it's it's about you know making sure that those customers are happy uh, and stay with us, as well as finding new customers. Um, and, and and the role will constantly shift from. So for instance, when we were just uh, a team of four people. Uh, and we wanted to grow the team. We needed more engineers and designers. Uh, the role, my role, was mostly focused on hiring and bringing on the best people um, for this team. So it was about building out the team. And um, before that, when we didn't have any funding, my role was just all about like, okay, how can we secure funding and go go out fundraising? So the role is constantly evolving and constantly shifting. But mm-hmm. fundamentally, it's all about like just filling the gaps and wearing the hat that is necessary to be worn at that moment in time. I love it. Yeah, the true captain, right? Love it, love it, love it. So let's talk about your funding because uh, that's an interesting uh, question that we wanted to have addressed. How do you how do you fund Rectific? Um, so we have raised money from um, investors as well as tech stars. Um, so I mean, originally, uh, so we're talking like four years ago when when I was just starting just by myself. I just funded it with my own savings as well as a little bit of friends and family, um, you know, donations. Um, but uh, but after that, uh, we actually found a corporate investor. Uh, there's a company here in Vancouver called Axiom Zen, who saw enough potential in um, in the idea and the early prototype that they were willing to put a put in some investment. Um, but the but the most the most important thing that's really helped us uh, both in funding as well as the company uh, as a whole was going through the accelerated program TechStars in Chicago 2015. Okay. So. So it's a three-month program where they very intensively mentor you. They put you in front of advisors, uh, mentors who've done it before, um, and investors. Uh, and at the end of the three-month program, the, there's a thing called Demo Day where you pitch your company in front of about 500 investors. And 
if you have such a large crowd, there's bound to be, it's bound to happen that at least a few people will, you know, believe in your vision or has experience in this industry and are willing to help you. Um, so after that Texas program, we were able to uh, raise, uh, raise some money for the company. Very cool. And what, so that's, that's you. Um, how would you recommend for other entrepreneurs that uh, are looking for funding and, you know, beside the traditional routes, um, is there anything that, uh, that you would say, look, this is an area that is really uh, an area that uh, is, 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 un, is uncharted, but huge opportunity to, to get funding? Do you know any thoughts around mm. that? I don't think there are any uncharted ways to get funding. Um, I think the most it, it's become very popular these days is to go through mm. incubators and accelerators uh-huh. um, and i and i still think that those are the best best ways to uh to get the attention and and, and get get exposed to that network of investors um, i don't think there are any other hacks around that i would say yeah, I don't think so either, but I'd always like to ask the question anyway, because uh, as soon as you'd give me an answer, I'd go chase it right away. <laughs> everyone would. <laughs> yeah, everyone would, for sure. But ultimately, it's about it's about about having value a value proposition exactly. that is of, of interest to the investors, and then the money will find you, right? The money will find you. First things first, build a product that people will love, yep. and the money will, will come after. Absolutely. So what habits did you develop that make you uh, better as an entrepreneur? So that's the past. And what's your number one thing that you have to work on on a regular basis to become a better entrepreneur slash CEO? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> so for myself, I always continuously strive to be as efficient as I can with everything I do. Right. So efficient, efficiency, in fact, is the foundation upon which the company was built because we wanted to make logistics more efficient, right? So efficient is really important uh, in the day-to-day because being a more efficient person and being more efficient as a team as a whole uh, means that you can uh, increase your productivity and you can be as productive as you can be, uh, which means that you'll be able to get maximum stuff done in the least amount of time. So being efficient in just you know make, making making sure that you're very efficient in let's say you know the way you run meetings or efficient in terms of you know writing code, um, all these little efficiencies will add up over the long run into mm-hmm. into getting you know a lot a lot more uh, stuff done in uh, in the same amount of time. And time is the scarcest resource a startup has, so you want to move as fast as possible. And the way to do that is to continuously improve your efficiency with everything you do. Mm. How do you build your culture in your company so that it does the same thing? I mean, what what's uh, is culture important to you and and what you're what you're building with Rotific? Yeah, culture is extremely important. Uh, I would actually venture to say that culture is one of the most important things um, a CEO should focus on as a uh, or a company should focus on in general, um, because a company is nothing but its people. Right. And mm-hmm. culture is what cultivates people to then be as efficient and productive uh, as they can. Um, so culture is a primary focus for our company. Uh, we do a lot of uh, we, we're very transparent with the way we run the business. Um, and we we're very informal and very team oriented. Um, and we hire based on culture fit. So we will ah. we would find the people who will fit with our culture 
and we will deem that more important than their skills or ability. So if there's a, a, an amazing developer, for instance, who is very good at coding, but doesn't gel with our culture uh, as a whole, then we would rather choose another developer who is slightly less you know, talented in terms of coding, but is more um, of a team player and who, who will also share the same values that we do. And how do you test for that, Merck? That's, that's actually an awesome question because um, that was always a question that I had. But until recently, um, we actually found a software that you can actually quantify the culture score of your team. Oh. So, so the way that works is um, every individual in the team will basically rank about, I think, about 50 values. Um, and you will pick about nine that you deem are the most important to you individually and nine that you deem least important. Um, so we did this test. Every, every, everyone on the team took it. And guess what? We scored a 100% in terms of cultural alignment. Nice. So that was that's that's probably the one thing that I'm the most proud of. So everyone on this team is very very well aligned um, culturally, which is which is extremely important. Now it doesn't mean that we're di- we're not diverse though. We 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 are still very diverse as a team. In fact, we have twelve people on the team that are from eleven different countries. Wow. So we're, wow. We're very very diverse, uh, but. Our values are not. Our values right. are aligned, and that I think is very important. That's very interesting. So, has uh, has uh, cultural cultural diversity ever created some interesting uh, stories that come out of your organization? Oh yes, we uh, we joke a lot. <laughs> yeah, we joke a lot internally, and I think uh, I think that that's that's you know open culture and, and 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 very being very informal allows everyone to just you know have fun and 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 just make. Um, yeah, just just have good conversations and funny conversations. Uh, just do, do, that just happens organically from day to day, and and having a good laugh at least once a day is is very important to uh, to be happy, yeah. stay happy, and that ha- so and t- laughing happens a lot here in this team. So, that's, so that's tell good. me what your offices look like. Um, well, we're actually about to move offices. Um, <laughs> okay. Just, yeah. <laughs> so they're pretty bare today, right? We, uh, we just, uh, signed the lease actually, uh, uh yesterday. Um, so ah, right we'll on. be moving to a new office because we've outgrown our current space. Um, so the way it's going to look is, is very much up in the air. In fact, today we're going to discuss uh, the floor plans uh, with the team. Uh, 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 very cool. So if, what's the, if you had a book that you were going to recommend to entrepreneurs in the future and you can recommend no other book for the rest of your life, it had to be the consistent one, which book would it be? The Art of Worldly Wisdom. By, the Art of Worldly Wisdom by Baltasar Gracian. That is my f- all-time favorite book. Um, it's not a book specifically for entrepreneurs, but it's a book about life in general. And I think thinking about ent- entrepreneurship and uh, building companies um, should be about building life in general. And that book ha- is 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 a gem. Um, it's it has a lot of wisdom contained in a very small book um, that can be applied throughout just any 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 aspect of life well the fact you had no hesitation about it means your con- your conviction is pretty strong that that's a good book i just yeah, put it down I, as one thing for my for my christmas reading list so i appreciate I've, that yeah. I've, uh, I've read it twice now and I'm, I'm reading it again for the third time and i feel like it's one of those books that you can read over and over again 
as you're in different you know stages of your life and it is always surprisingly applicable yeah that's wonderful how do you um how do you work to keep motivated to uh, you know it's because business to me it's it's a mindset first and then it's and then it's actions after that how do you keep your mind sharp you know motivated passionate Do do you have to do things or the mere environment that you've created for yourself created that uh that 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 motivational factor you need for you you i'm talking you mark yeah definitely the latter Definitely yeah. better. It's, uh, I, th- I believe that, so when people talk about work life balance, they tend to talk about two opposing things. I don't yeah, they sure that. do. Yeah. I don't believe that. I believe that if you, and this is something that my father-in-law likes to say, if you find a job that you really love, you will not work a single day in your life. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that's that's basically that's basically it. Just find something that you really love doing and you feel really fulfilled in. And um, every day you just wake up very motivated because you just want to do it. Yeah, love it, love it, love it, love it. So, um, what's the the next couple of years look like for for, for Rotific? Next couple of years. That's a yep. that's a really long time frame for for a next next year. Then give me one for the next twelve months. <laughs> I, and and you're right. It is. A, I always hate it when bankers say, "Give me a five year projection." Right, I'm like, right, well, exactly. You know what do you want me to put in it? <laughs> Tell me. You know, I'll do what you want me to do. It's a stupid question. So yeah. <laughs> so so I just asked a stupid question. What's what's the next twelve months look like? Twelve besides months. the move. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we have a uh, we have a new product launch coming up. Um, so that's going to be going to be very excited, uh, probably sometime in uh, late January, early February. Um, uh-huh. So the entire team is very focused on that. After that, um, we do want to grow the team a little bit more because there's still a lot of work, a lot of work, uh, a lot of work to be done. Um, but for the entire um, next year, it's just going to be you know growing, growing the yes. product, growing the customer base, um, and continuously improving the product. Yeah, focused on excellence. Good for you. Love it. Love it. So, uh, Mark, this is uh, this has been a really cool, cool uh, conversation. I am excited to learn more about what it is that you're going to be doing in the next uh, in the next <laughs> year. But um, uh, you know, what do you what, what advice do you have for your fellow entrepreneurs who are in the weeds and want to change their lives? Because your life seems to be kind of going in a trajectory that uh, trajectory, sorry, that you wanted to. Um, but you've been in the weeds. So what do you say to somebody? Okay. This is how you get out of the weeds. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a very interesting question. Um, I typically would tell people just, just do it. Uh, but of course you cannot just do it. If, uh, if you have, you know, obligations or a family to take care of. Uh, but if you don't, um, and you're in a situation where you're still young, um, and you're disenchanted with where you are right now, uh, you got to just make a change for yourself. I, like I said earlier, um, I do believe that there is a job. If it is a job or either you want to start your own thing, there is something out there for everyone. You just got to look really hard for it. And you're not going to find it by just sitting in your same day job that you're disgruntled about, right? Um, yes. So if it is about starting a company, then the only way to find out whether or not it is for you or not is to just do it. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, to be honest, when I was at the investment bank, I was thinking about starting a, a company and going down the entrepreneurial path, but there were so many unknowns and so many question marks like, oh, oh how do I even do that? Um, how do I incorporate uh, a company? What do I do next? Uh, how do I run payroll? Like a lot of questions. But what I, what I realized is that you'll figure it out. <laughs> yes. All, all these things you will figure out as you go along. Uh, the most important thing is like, just do something that um, you want to do, that you're really passionate about, because it's going to take that passion. That passion is going to be necessary to to fuel your grit to get through all the the hardships. Entrepreneurship is not easy. I'm not going to say that it's no, it's not. No, yep, it's, right. it's going to be a walk in the park. But if you're young and you don't have um, obligations to a family or uh, etc. It, it's going to be such a learning experience. In the worst case scenario, you're going to fail flat on your face, but you're going to learn so much from it, which is going to make you even more employable in the future. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a venture, a couple of venture funds that they will not fund the company or the individual unless they have failed three times. So, yeah, they want you to go through that life experience. Exactly. Very, very it's, cool. it's the only way to learn. It's the only way to learn is to fail. If you succeed always, it's it's not much of a learning experience. So, and, and, isn't it crazy how we uh, we 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 hear that word fail and instantly we think of something that's negative versus oh my gosh, what a what a great opportunity <laughs> to learn. Yeah. And and we just embrace it as a negative term, and it's so 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 wrong. I mean, that's how you yeah. know it's long. It's how you grow. And so uh, so thank you for that reinforcement for. That. And, mm-hmm. and thank you for starting your company, Rotific. And how do folks find out more about what's your website address? It's rotific.com. So R O U T I F I C.com. Beautiful. And uh, thanks for coming to Vancouver. And I uh, can't wait to see what's next for you guys. Mark, it's been a real, real, real joy speaking to you today. Likewise. Thanks, Rivers. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Want access to more awesome entrepreneur content? Visit startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag startup chats and hashtag startup school, which you can catch every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Till next week, I'm Rivers Corbett, leaving you with a sneak peek of next week's episode. Hi, this is Mark Skipinker, Managing Partner at Brightspark, and you are listening to the Startup Canada Podcast. What what common mistakes are you seeing entrepreneurs repeat when when trying to acquire capital? And so, you know, and and on the other side, what advice do you have for them to make the best bang for, uh, for their buck? I, I think that they should try to make sure that they understand that this isn't a one-size-fits-all. They should look for a fit. If they're going out to raise to raise money, they should look for someone who who has first of all who has a checkbook and is uh, is is capable of signing that check for them. Is focused on businesses like theirs, shares their values, their corporate culture, and shares what they're trying to build. There's a lot of different kind of VCs. There's a lot of different kind of investors. There's a lot of different kind of businesses. And I think the first thing any entrepreneur needs to do is look for a fit. Look for somebody who's actually investing what they're doing. And then everything becomes a little a little easier. I'm, I'm not suggesting that it's easy. It's really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Out of every hundred companies,
companies that are out there. Only a very, very small handful of are, are being invested in. But it's just a question of keeping your head down and enduring. You know, when, when we started the arena in 1988, we went out, there was not a single VC in Canada. We went to Boston. They said to us, what do you guys know? You, you're trying to start a company in, in Toronto and nobody's done this and we're not giving you any money. And we said, okay, well, we'll figure it out some other way. And we did. Mm. And there, there are a lot of ways to, to do this, but, but, but try to make sure that you don't run after the, the wrong people. If somebody's a late stage investor, don't go to them with an early investment. Mm. The mm. second thing again is build something meaningful. If it's, if, it's, if, it's not, if it's not big, go home and start again, do something big. And I think the third thing is there's no harm in dropping what you're doing and starting again. There's there's no harm in saying, you know what, we came up with a great idea. We went out to test this on the market and it turns out that customers are not ready for this this year and we don't have the capital to, to, to wait for two or three or four or five years and this isn't happening. Stop trying to run out and raise money and, 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 and hit your head against the wall trying to do something that you know in your in your heart of hearts you don't believe in and it shows when you present it. Just give it up. Do something else. There are so many good ideas out there and so many big opportunities. There's no downside in saying, you know what, the market's spoken and I need to get on with it and do something else. And, and very few people today are willing to do that. 